chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So we've been looking uh, over the last few months at chapter 6 and this glorious doctrine of union with Christ. And I don't know if it's struck you that as we've been working through chapter 6 and even chapter 5 that one of the things we've been reminded of is that in our union with Christ, we enjoy this incredible reality that is freedom. We enjoy freedom in Christ. In chapter 5, Paul told us we are free from guilt and the condemnation our sins deserve. Chapter 6, Paul made clear because we're united with Christ, we are free from sin. Because we've died to the law, we're no longer in that sense under sin's dominion or mastery. And now we come to chapter 7, and Paul's actually just going to explain something he's hinted at in chapter 6, and it's this. We are free from the law. Anyone who is united to Christ is free from the guilt and condemnation of their sin. Anyone who is united to Christ is free from the dominion of sin. Anyone who is united to Christ is free from the law. And so as we come to Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 6, the whole, the main idea we're thinking about is what is the believer's relationship to the law of God? Every time uh, across the road, just in front of our church, there's a pub across the road. I can't remember what number it is, but I know that there was a pub there in the 18th century. And a group of men gathered Most of the men that gathered in that pub um, were at a point in their ministry where they were largely unknown, apart from one, and that was John Newton. But the other men were largely unknown, and and they they started a society in there, and they would debate theological topics. And John Newton once said, at the bottom of all religious errors is a misunderstanding of the role of the law of God in the life of the Christian. At the bottom of nearly all religious errors is a misunderstanding of the role of the law of God in the life of the Christian. And so tonight as we come to think about the relationship of the Christian to the law of God, this is one of the most important subjects we could give our attention to. Now, last week we saw what set the cat among the pigeons. Look at chapter 6, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. If you were a Jewish Christian sitting in that congregation in Rome, this statement from the pen of the Apostle Paul would have caused you a great deal of alarm. Paul What do you mean that we are not under law? How can that be possible? God's people, the Jews, were given by God the law. It was a gift. It set them apart. It was a special marker of who they were. It lay at the very heart of Jewish, the Jewish way of life. It lay at the very heart of their piety and their spirituality, the law of God. They would sing what we just sung a few moments ago in Psalm 19. The law of God is perfect, reviving the soul of man. 
They, they delighted in the law of God. And now comes Paul and he says, you are no longer under law, but under grace. So you can well imagine the, the consternation that was caused. Paul, how can you say that the law has been overtaken, substituted by grace? When, Paul, did God abrogate his holy law? When did he set it aside? And if, Paul, you're saying we're released from the law, then what is the place of the law in the life of the Christian? Well, those are the questions we're going to look at as we work our way through this chapter. Now, when we come to any questions of the law, we need to be really clear that there are two extreme views when it comes to the law on either side. There's a view that we should live our lives in bondage to the law. That view is called legalism. We keep the law in order to earn and merit God's favor. God will accept us at the end if we keep his law, if we live a life in obedience to his law. And then there's the other extreme where they understand, no, we've been released from the law, so if we've been released from the law, we can live as we please. Grace can abound. And that extreme is known as antinomianism. But it's between these two extremes that Paul steers very careful course in this chapter. And I've got two big points. The reason we are free from the law is because we have a new marriage partner. The reason we are free from the law is because we have a new marriage partner. And the second point is the reason we ought to keep the law is because we have a new power at work in us. The reason we ought to keep the law is because we have a new power at work within us. So let's work our way thinking about um, being free from the law because we have a new marriage partner. Read verse 1 again with me. Do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Verse 1, Paul states a principle, a principle that is through all laws in the history of humanity. Here's the principle. A person is only under the obligation to keep the law as long as they live. When you die, all legal responsibility ends. Case closed. But when you're alive, you're under obligation to keep the law. When you die, over. That's the principle. Now Paul wants to illustrate the principle, so we come to verses 2 and 3. Think. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul here, he says, I want to illustrate the principle that we are under law as long as we live. Here's the illustration. It comes from matrimonial law. When two people get married, the marriage contract is binding as long as they are both alive. And every wedding I take or preside over, I will say to the groom, repeat after me, or to the bride, repeat after me, 
will you take so-and-so to be your husband or your wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part? A marriage contract is only binding as long as you live. Death ends it. Death means that the relationship that was established by the marriage contract is over. And the party who survives is free to marry, remarry, without question of being accused of being an adulterer, an adulteress. And so here's Paul, right? Here's what he's saying. Here's the principle. As long as you are alive, you're under the obligations of the law. Think of a marriage. Think of a a woman who's married, a wife who's married to her husband. And say the husband dies. Well, then that wife, she's free from that marriage contract and she can now remarry whoever she wants. Principle, illustration, application. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, so what Paul says here is because of our union with Christ, because Christ died, we've died with him. And, and, and when we died with Christ, you need to understand our sinful record. See, we were under the law. We didn't keep the law. We broke the law many, many times. Our sinful record, when we died with Christ, our sinful record was nailed to the cross. And he, Jesus, who we're now united to, who kept the law in full, he, Jesus, was able to take the penalty and the punishment for our sin. And because we died with him, not only did we die to sin's dominion, but Paul says here, we died to the law. We're released from it. That is, we're no longer under the curse of the law. The law cannot condemn us. We are free from the law. The law, in in, in the true sense, has no obligation over us because Christ, because of our union with Christ, he fulfilled the law in our place. And so, Paul in verse 4 says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. And because we've died, the old man, the old woman has died. Now, if you are paying careful attention, and I don't suspect many of you have have noticed the the problem with Paul's illustration, have you? In verse 2 and 3, 
when Paul was making this illustration, he says, it's the death of another, that is, the husband, that frees the wife to go and marry another. And now in verse 4, Paul says, it's not the death of another, it's your death that frees you from the law. That means when you're resurrected in Christ, you get to remarry Christ. And again, there's loads of ink spilled on. Did Paul miss the punchline of his illustration and kind of get it wrong? Of course he didn't. The key thing to understanding his illustration is it was because someone else died that we died. Christ died as our representative in our place. It makes perfect sense if you've got the key that is union with Christ. Now, this is glorious truth. We are released from the Lord, the law, because we have a new marriage partner, Christ. We're released from its curse. We're released from its condemnation. We're released from the, 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 the obligation to ever think that we could ever merit God's favor or earn our salvation. We are free from the law. Now, what Paul does in verse 5 is he says, now, let's just go back a minute and let's think of our pre-converted states. Let's remember those days where we were living in the flesh. Look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, while we were in Adam, while, before we were Christians, before we were united to Christ, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Before you were married to Christ, you were in, you were married to the law. And it was a rotten marriage. You see, the thing about the law is that it's perfect. And demanding. Imagine being married to someone. And every day, they're demanding. They're relentless done that wrong and that wrong and that wrong i want you to do this 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 you know what would happen if you were in a marriage like that you would get so filled with anger and bitterness and rage every time they say say to you do this or don't do that you would end up doing it and paul says actually that that's what that's what happened in our pre-converted state The law, can you believe this, aroused our sinful passions. It's because there were laws that said, don't do this, that you and I, knowing that we couldn't keep them because we're in bondage to this law, we ended up doing it. If I said to Theo, Theo, when we go to church this morning, do not come up the front when daddy's speaking. What do you think Theo would do? I'll tell you what he would do. He would come straight up the front because that's what the law does. If You know what it's like. If, if, if you get something in the post, say at your work or in your home, and it's not for you, but it says private and confidential, you know that your temptation is you want to, you want to know the context. 
If you see a, a nice bit of grass and it says on it, please keep off the grass, what is the everything inside you want to do? It just wants to step on the grass. You see, when we were married, when we were in bondage to the law, it was a rotten marriage and everything inside of us was aroused to break the law. And the fruit of our law-breaking, Paul says, death. So, we were once married to the law, but the glorious good news because of union with Christ is Christ who fulfilled the law, Christ who died in our place, we died with him so that we've been released from the law, the curse of the law. We're in a new relationship, but, but here's the thing. All of us in here, we know that is all of what Paul's saying here, meaning that we're then free, if we're free from the law, does all that mean that we can go live a a lawless life? We can go live as we we want? Well, of course not. Look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. See, once we were serving the law, the written law, the external code, the the written code, the old way of life, and and we were trying to do it and fail, but when we were released from the law because we died to it, we're no longer held captive of it, we were filled by the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit. And the Spirit at work in us makes us want to keep the law. The Spirit at work in us, it cha- He changes everything. So, so the law said, do this and you shall live. Jesus says, you now live and you now have the power of my Holy Spirit, so go, keep the law. If you've got your Bible, just flick over to Romans chapter 8 for a minute. Romans 8 verses 2 to 4. We're going to sing these verses in a few moments. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You see what Paul's saying in verse 4 there? God has worked in us. He's worked in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We have a new marriage partner. We have a new power, a new dynamic who enables us to keep the law. I've used this illustration before, but It's a good one. There's a wee boy, and his parents were really concerned about him because he was always in his bedroom on his gaming device. And so his parents started to make laws after school. You cannot go up up to your room and start playing the gaming device. And they started saying, you cannot do it. And still the boy would break the laws, and he would go and play in his gaming device. He couldn't get him out of his room. They tried to give him rewards, tried to entice him, bribe him. Come on, we don't want you stuck in your bedroom playing on your gaming device. 
nothing would do it. And then one day there was a change. And the parents could not keep that young boy in the house anymore. And do you know what changed? The young boy had fallen in love. He'd met a girl at school. And he'd fallen in love. And he never wanted to be on his game anymore. He had the special power of a new affection, as Thomas Chalmers said. And all he wanted to do was be with his girlfriend. And, and I mention that because that's what happens. When we were in the flesh and when we were in bondage to the law, it just aroused our sinful passions. But when we were, but when we were united to Christ and we married the risen Christ who was raised by the Holy Spirit and he now lives inside of us, we are now equipped. We have now got the motivation to keep the law of God because the Spirit has regenerated us. He's given us new hearts with new affections. And he drives us and he fuels us to live in the ways of God and in the law of God. Now, being a Christian isn't honestly, when you are united to Christ, when you are indwelt by the Spirit, it is the most incredible thing. You want to please him. You want to love him. You want to be with him. Honestly, the reality of being a Christian is, is like being a new bride who's, who's married the most amazing groom. And he's given you absolutely every incentive and every motive to love him. Now, let me be really honest. We all know the reality, don't we, as Christians, that we fail, even as Christians, to keep God's law. But the most incredible thing about the one we're married to now is that he's got mercy to forgive us. We're not under law, we're under grace. Where our sin abounds, his grace abounds. Not a license for sin, but a reality for who we are. But added to that, we're no longer under the dominion of sin. We've been freed from sin and he's given us our spirit so that we can now live in the way that pleases him. And so as those who are indwelt by his spirit live in the Christian life, it's not drudgery. It's not duty. The most incredible thing is that with the spirit, it's, it's, it's love. He set us free He's taken, Christ has taken in his body the penalty, the punishment of our sin. He's taken our condemnation. He has kept the law in our place. And brothers and sisters, our only response to that is, I want to love him. Because no one else has loved me like he has loved me. No one else has done for me what he has done for me. I wish I could use an illustration personally. Like, you know, before I was married to Marina, I was like this. Now I'm married to Marina, I'm like this. But then all the illustrations I thought of are shot through because Marina would hear it and say, na, 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 na. But you know what I can say? Before I was in Jesus, my sinful passions were aroused and I did a lot of things. That displeased him. I broke his law countless times. All the time. But now I'm in Jesus. 
And yes, it's with faltering faith and stumbling, but listen, his spirit in me drives me and gives me affections for his law. I've come to see that living in his ways is the best way and the most blessed way, and I want to do it. My marriage to Christ, the power of his spirit within me has changed me, and I know that to be true. And if you're united to Christ, it's true of you. You belong to another. You belong to another to bear fruit for God. You serve in the new way of the Spirit of God. So church, as we prepare to study more of the reality of the law of God and the life of the believer and our indwelling battle with sin here in Romans chapter 7, let's go forward on this foundation. We're in a new marriage and we have the Spirit of God to help us and empower us to live in the way that that pleases him. Let's pray. Our glorious God, every time we come to study the, the, the doctrine of our salvation, the wonder of our union with Christ, you blow us away. You've set us free from sin. You've set us free from our guilt and our condemnation. You've set us free from the law. How can we thank you enough? In Christ, he fulfilled the law. And in him, we fulfilled the law. And in him, we now have the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that as we go into this week, even as those who will falter and fall and stumble, we thank you that you've given us your Spirit. And we pray that the work of your Holy Spirit inside of us would stir up our affections so that we might love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. And that our love for you would fuel our lives of obedience. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.